Welcome into the Dog Dispatch, everybody. I am John Smith, your host. I am here with my good friend, Coach Hayes. Coach, how are we doing today? Doing great, John. Glad to be here, buddy. Awesome. We are very excited to dive into uh, all things Georgia football, all things Georgia sports. Um, before we do that, if you are new to the show, uh, please you know subscribe to the channel, like the video on YouTube. Uh, it does a lot for the show. We're so thankful for the response that we received from y'all. Um, so thankful for the comments. Keep them coming. Um, tell us, you know, where we're right, where we're wrong. Um, really love the engagement. It's just been really great to see. But yeah, please uh, subscribe and like. We won't hit you over the head with that throughout the whole show. Um, but that really does help the show. So, all right, Coach. Um, but yeah, we're here. You know, we are here uh, to talk about Georgia football today. Um, we're going to hit a couple things that I think are are, are current and of interest to folks. Um, Number one, there is a very important all-star game happening this week uh, down in Mobile, Alabama. It's called the Senior Bowl. For those of you who don't know, the Senior Bowl has been around for 74 years, long time. Um, and the Senior Bowl is, is where uh, guys are selected who have declared for the NFL draft uh, to come and basically spend a week going through practice, going through dr drills, going through uh, – one-on-one -on -one scenarios, team scenarios to showcase their talent in front of hundreds of NFL personnel, NFL scouts, coaches, um, all the things. Everybody who's anybody uh, in NFL when it comes to personnel is in Mobile, Alabama this week. And Georgia has seven guys there. Georgia has six guys there. Georgia had seven guys invited. Um, her, got the news early this week that Cedric Van Pran uh, got scratched from the roster. Right. That could be, you know, sometimes guys are training, they're getting ready for the draft. Sometimes there's an injury that scratches scratches them from the roster. Sometimes their agent, their personnel just says, hey, it's not worth the risk uh, to go through this. But for whatever reason, Cedric Van Pran has been scratched from the Senior Bowl. But Georgia has six other players there. Um, Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith, Dejon Edwards, Marcus Rosemey Jackson, Lad McConkie, and last but certainly not least, my guy, William Moat, <laughs> long snapper extraordinaire. Yeah. Uh, Georgia has six fant fantastic players. It's, it's, you know, so, so incredible for these guys to get invited to this, first of all, um, because it truly is Jim, Jim Nagy and Sylvester Kroom um, are the two guys who run the, the senior bowl. And they, and they really do uh, spend a lot of time trying to pick the best of the best and in these invites. And um, these guys, you know, are certainly deserving. Um, but coach, I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, just to start. You know, what have what have you seen? What have you taken away from you know what's been posted on on Twitter? Um, what we've seen, you know, in in the coverage of the Senior Bowl. Um, who's kind of standing out? Who's making uh, some some money for themselves this week? Um, and um, and and what are your initial takes of of what's going on in Mobile? Hey man, it's been uh, it's been really good to see. You always love to see kids from the University of Georgia who are trying to get into the NFL, looking at improving their draft stock to see them uh, be out there and start showing out. I mean, obviously, you're going to see the the videos of Ladd McConkie really doing a great job in his skill sets and one-on-one covers. We, honestly, as a Georgia fan, it doesn't surprise me one bit. And, of course, Ladd's even more personal to me. The McConkie family are very close to me anyway. I, I knew Ladd was going to be special, but to watch him develop at the University of Georgia and do what he's done has just been really a dream come true to see and i, I want to back i want to back up on that a little bit folks don't know your relationship to uh, the mcconkie family i would love for you to just share kind of you yeah. know your your uh your relationship to those folks and and what that what they mean to you 
when I took the job at North Murray, the first people I ran into were Benji and, and Brittany McConkey. I there was mom and dad, and uh, found out very quickly that Hinton, Lad's older brother, was going to be our probably backup quarterback. He was a, coming in as a sophomore. I think Lad was in sixth grade at the time, seventh grade, and uh, <clears throat> Hinton ended up becoming a kid that I watched grow up through his varsity years of football. So Lad was around all the time, got a chance to talk to his dad all the time, too. And Benji was a heck of an athlete, too, quarterback in at uh, Dalton High School. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just was really neat to be able to watch Hinton grow up. I, I know Lad was probably a little bit shorter than Hinton, but Lad's eventually grew into his body. I think him and Hinton may be roughly the same height now, but Hinton had his height in high school. He was already mm -hmm. six foot tall in high school, but uh, he was my quarterback and because uh, I switched from the defensive coordinator position to the offensive coordinator position his junior and senior year. So I was one-on-one -on -one with him a lot. I was in his mm -hmm. face a lot. I was <laughs> his butt a lot. But, you know, I just had a great relationship. Brittany was uh, our healthcare uh, pathway mm -hmm. teacher at the school, so I ran into her all the time as well. And it was just a lot of good camaraderie of that family and really was one of the staples of, of people there, just quality people there that I got to know while I was in Chatsworth and Murray County. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so – so uh, up close and personal, um, so you know the obviously the the character of the family, the character of the kids, uh, really important. We've seen that with Lad in, throughout his Georgia career, right? I mean, you've seen exactly. it. Um, well, the awards yeah. that that he's yeah. won for for service and community, right. um, you know, all those things. It's it, it, it's just been incredible. So it's it's certainly not surprising of the type of person that he is. Yes, and you know. Just seeing how he grew up, I, I left when Lad was going into high school as a freshman, so I got to watch him through his middle school years, and got to and I, I followed him really closely his freshman year after I left to go to Calhoun. So, you know, uniquely he just just shined. He blossomed every year. He got taller. He got faster. He got just. I knew that he was going to be that um, that kid that just everybody was talking about, and he definitely fit all the accolades of that. So. To watch him grow up and then get obviously the offer from the University of Georgia and just make the best of that opportunity and grow and continue to get even better and compete in SEC competition. And now here he is showing out at the Senior Bowl. And, of course, everybody's got the chance to see all the different routes that he's running. He's making defensive backs look really silly right now. Um, yeah. But, you know, one that I really think I, – I don't know. This kid grew on me so much. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, and that's Dejon Edwards. I think Dejon mm -hmm. is someone who is improving his draft stock while he's there. There is someone out there because, you know, this is the first time where NFL coaches and analysts and different people get a chance to kind of be back in a more laid-back atmosphere, watching these kids go out there and go through their reps, through their one-on-ones, and able to actually be in a relaxed atmosphere, unlike what the Combine's like. The Combine's probably more a little bit of a business-like atmosphere. These yeah. guys get a chance to you know, talk with these kids one-on-one, -on -one, give them the, you know, the bro hugs and say, you know, we're, we're you know, we, we like what we're seeing, keep it up mm -hmm. and those kind of things. Give these guys motivation to to do better and to try to improve. And Dejan is another one that I really like, just watching him catch the ball out of the backfield and obviously running the football. He made a kid look silly on a spin move off of a zone look. And I mean, mm -hmm. so it's good to watch see those kids showing out. And then, uh, you know, I could talk about Tyke Smith. We haven't, I haven't seen as much footage on Tyke as I have with yeah. Mark with uh, Marcus Rosemey Jack saying yeah no Tyke Tyke has been playing tough he's um he had a he had a couple of uh really good um defensive reps that were that I know the folks at the senior bowl and are covering the senior bowl were putting out of him um there's a Kansas State tight end big guy, guy that I mean probably had 60 70 pounds and about five inches on mm -hmm. on Tyke that uh 
the guy called the ball. Tyke made a play, knocked the ball out of his hand um, for an incompletion. I mean, he's 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 flashed a little bit as well too. Yeah, and then lastly, you know, I, I would put Marcus Rosemi Jack Sane as well in there. He's running great routes. He's he's showing his depth of his route running. His his route tree has really developed, and he's got hands, man. We knew he had hands. I mean, when you throw the ball around him anywhere, it seems to stick. He's got very strong hands too. He fights for the ball very well, competes for the ball. And that's shown in his reps that I've seen via the different videos that have been put out there on social media too. So I would say that there's not one person that's right now at the senior bowl who's not improved their draft stock. I'm sure that they're highly impressed because, you know, like I said, I, I've really, I, you know, we've all seen and heard through different interviews that Kirby develops these kids to be prepped and ready to go to the NFL. And that just goes to show what he's doing to his staff and allowing his staff to develop these kids and do a great job with them. And it's showing right now down in Mobile. Yeah, listen, I I saw um, I, I was able to go to to practice a couple times uh, this this past season and see you know these kids up close and personal. Marcus Rosemi Jackson has some of the strongest hands I've ever seen uh, in mm-hmm. person. Um, in in uh, from a wide receiver in practice, it's it's just I mean, and and obviously, I mean, he's a lot he's a lot bigger kid, a lot stronger kid, and so mm-hmm. then then I think a lot of people. Uh, tend to give him credit for, um, but you you watch him this week, and yeah, he certainly made some made some money for himself, and I think all of them. To your point, um, you know, I think when when people look, it's it's you know the immediate kind of inclination is to start making comps of you know who are these guys like, and I'll tell you, right. I, I I put this out on Twitter, and I I own it. Um, I I mean I'm not backing away from it, folks. Folks were saying, you know, Lad McConkey, they were saying Cooper Cup and Julian Edelman and all these people. Yeah. Let me tell you, Lad McConkey. I am not saying, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying that Lab McConkey is going to be put up the numbers that a player like Antonio Brown put up. But Lab McConkey is a lot more of set aside the antics, set aside the crazy like CTE brain, whatever, whatever's going on with Antonio Brown right. <laughs> later in his career. Right. When you look right. at him and what he did in Pittsburgh, where where he was on pace to potentially be one of the best, to potentially be the best wide receiver to ever play the game. Um, what Lad has is that he has the twitch, he has the speed, he has the physicality. Um, you know, I think I think Antonio Brown probably has a little bit better of a contested catch than what Lad you know might have currently. But um, but Antonio Brown, you know, they were handing the ball to him in Pittsburgh. They're throwing the ball to him in Pittsburgh, and I think I think Lad is going to surprise some people at the combine with his measurables. Like I think people right. I think people don't realize how athletic that kid really is and how fast he's going to be. Like I think right. I think people look at some old 40 times and I'm telling you I don't think Lad McConkey is coming out there and running in the 4.5s at the combine. I think no. I think he's going to be in the 4.4s uh, and I think he's going to be yeah, incredibly athletic. So yeah. I was going to say when he was healthy, you know, he was on the GPS, they was clocking him over 21 miles per hour, and that's definitely going to be something that's in the in the four fours. He gets out of yeah. his brakes. He gets out of his brakes so well. That's what separates him. He has such fast twitch. He gets out of his brakes and separates from the defender. Just makes him unbelievably hard to cover. Yeah, so we got so we got some guys making some money for themselves. Um one of the things that one of the things I did want to talk about too with the senior bowl a lot of these clips have been posted. Um, you know, you have Danny Cannell. You have a lot of these guys showing these one-on-one, these one-on-one scenarios, and using that as an example of like, um, you know, Johnny Wilson opted out of the 
of of the Orange Bowl, and you have a one on one rep where he's lined up on Javon Bullard, and he create you know creates separation and catches the ball. I would love because I have my own opinions, but I I you can say it a uh, uh, a lot nicer and more eloquently than I than I can. Uh, I would love your take on you know all of this. Like what what does a one on one rep uh, with a with a safety on a wide receiver really really tell you about anything in those situations? <laughs> well, I can also combine it being a science teacher. It's sample size. You get one rep, <laughs> you get one video of the twenty thousand that they've done that day, and all of a sudden we've got a world beater in Johnny Wilson beating Javon Bullard at a safety position. And uh, I love the fact that Danny called him a quarterback. I'm like, if you're even going to call him out, at least know what position he's actually playing. Um, Danny Cannell, listen, Danny Cannell, George, our guy George George Foster, uh, Big Foss, um, called out Danny Cannell too because Danny Cannell posted a video of a defensive lineman uh, wreaking havoc on a play, and it was a screenplay. They didn't even block him. Like George was like, George posted, you know, don't even know that you're a quarterback and you can't recognize the screen. Um, yeah, so we know what's happening with Danny Cannell, but but in but in the you know truly in the in the football sense, like mm-hmm. those one on ones, they're designed to uh, highlight a skill set. They're designed to give you you know to give you a little bit of a look to give you a rep. But in that scenario, no one's rushing the quarterback. You don't right. that 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 DB doesn't have any help over the top. The all all of the advantage is on that quarterback and that wide receiver running that route, um, and in reality, you know, I think um, I think you, you, I just it just doesn't translate to a game situation, and and so when when you see that when you know folks tuning in when you see it on Twitter when you see folks using that as like you know all these things, listen, Jaheim Bell was one that I posted about because um, Danny Cannell said you know Jaheim Bell opted out of the opted out of the Orange Bowl. Jaheim Bell didn't even have a catch against Louisville in the ACC championship. So I don't think Jaheim Bell beating, uh, you know, Javon Bullard or Tyke Smith uh, in a one-on-one situation in Mobile on one rep uh, where an NFL prospect quarterback is thrown to him, by the way, um, really tells you anything about what would happen in the Orange Bowl if those guys had been there. It's very much – you have to look really more at the individual technique of the players because when you have, like you said, I I posted this on Twitter too and got a lot of impressions from it, but – you know, you've got first off a quarterback who should have a four-second window to throw. Sometimes that don't happen. They'll let them. They'll let them run for five, six seconds. Quarterback will make a throw. It's uncontested. There's no outside linebacker or nickel in that number two receiver space, which would be the case. I tell you what, have been more realistic. Hey, put Tyke Smith in front of him and man old, and then have Javon Bullard over the top and let him run that route and see how there we go. There you That's go. the difference of the two. So what they're going to look at from Javon's standpoint, regardless of the fact that Johnny caught that specific ball, is they're going to look at those individual techniques, how his hips, how he gets out of his break, being able to recover, chase hips, get to the football, which Javon did a very good job. I mean, Johnny's a very long, lengthy kid and he's got good range and a good catch radius, and that quarterback put it on the money. That's another thing. You've got no defensive line pursuing that quarterback, so he's able to sit back there, have his cup of tea, and have some crumpets and be able just to throw the <laughs> – the corner route to this guy. So there's a lot of, in, you know, intangibles that you look at. Because like I said, there was people when I would coach and we do 707s, you know, in the summertime and you'd have these Kelly guys, you would have all American 707 teams. They would do all this stuff that's so unorthodox just to win 707s. But when it came yep. down, you put 11 on 11, different story, different story. Mm-hmm. So the same thing yeah. here. Look at the individual talent. Look at the individual skill sets of what these kids do. And it's really set up to help the offense be successful. But don't pick on Javon Buller for one play for something like that when realistically it's it's just 
it's unorthodox. It's not going to happen that way. Uh, like yeah. I said, more realistically, it would be let Tyke Smith be in his face jamming him, and then you're running mm -hmm. too bad, basically, and let Javon be over the top of that and be a little bit more realistic. There you go. Well, uh, so so speaking of um, speaking of guys at the Senior Bowl, so we we talked about Marcus Sosme, Jack Jack Saint, Lad McConkey making some money for themselves, really showing you know like real development. Lad, Lad, you know McConkey. Um, shout out to the Georgia staff and their evaluation. I mean, they took you know Lab was basically the last player the last player took um, offered of that class. And, um, uh, but, but so much development has happened and I want to give a shout out to Brian McClendon, you know, uh, Kirby, Kirby smart. Um, uh, Cortez Hankton left, you know, the Georgia team went to LSU a couple years ago and Kirby went out and got Brian McClendon, which I think was, was a plus one in a number of ways, a lot of pluses for Brian McClendon. Number one, you know, uh, Kirby Smart hiring uh, alumni, guys who uh, played for the G, who repped the G, who right. uh, who ended up you know becoming great great coaches in their own right, but who who really actually love Georgia and love that place. Uh, but number two, you know Brian McClendon, his, his ability to recruit, his ability you know to um, to evaluate wide receivers, but it's obviously showing his ability to develop these guys as well. Um, and one of the things I think is, you know, is really interesting with that is just this whole like continuity and how Kirby has really thought about this coaching staff and how when one guy goes out and another guy comes in, um, how that development doesn't miss a beat, right? Like where you still, exactly, it's still so important because sometimes you have guys like Lab McConkie who maybe, you know, maybe you're under a, another coach and then that guy leaves and then somebody new comes in and it actually can stunt your development because of their style or whatever, they, you know, whatever. But Kirby has done such a good job of building the continuity of the staff and succession plan and all those things. Would love to hear, you know, kind of your thoughts as a coach around what you've seen from the coaching staff in terms of development and what, what you think, you know, like as you look into the future and you look in some of the, the pieces that are put in place right now, right? We saw it with Todd right. Munkin when Todd Munkin went to the NFL. Mike Bobo was already on staff. He got promoted. Uh, what are you seeing from this staff, and, and what do you think Georgia fans can, can expect as the coaching staff continues to develop? Well, you know, as a coach, you're always wanting to adapt. You have to adapt to the times, but also you've got to have a foundation of what you believe in. That's always got to stay firm and true. When he brings these guys in who are Georgia alumni, I think that develops a different kind of trust factor for the program as well because there is a big-time investment because there's a lot of merit in coaching kids that you went to school at the same place that you're on the model. There's a lot of pride that goes into that. And the reason why I think he is bringing some of these guys back, like Muschamp and McClendon and obviously Bobo. And, uh, you know, I really do think that in this process – him bringing these people in, he is setting the tone. Because like I said, being a defensive-minded coach when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, he's not necessarily going to sit there and say, hey, I want you to be this type of offensive coach. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure he's probably telling him, okay, these are the three to five things that I need for you to set and staple into these kids to believe in sort of a mantra per se that no matter what happens, if you leave, and the next person comes in, they still understand that mantra. They still understand those five core values or three core values or whatever they may be. And that's the reason why I think, you see, we all have the sense that Bobo is Bobo from the Mark Rick era. Bobo's had to grow over the last decade. He has evolved what he's done, and he's taken the good with the bad. If he's a good coach, he should be taking the things that he loves that Munkin brought to the table and then combining it with his 
concepts and being able to morph it into what he wants all while he's trying to you know transcend that information down through his offensive coaches his receivers his you know Dale McGee at running back and all of them with their philosophy that they have but I saw one thing even though with us losing Fran Brown and uh losing well it really didn't lose anybody for the fact I know Muschamp is wanting to be with his family but that's the process of him being able to still stay on as an analyst role and bringing in T-Rob, which I think T-Rob honestly is a great fit for us. Everybody from outside the Georgia system really thought we had a loss in that situation because they felt like the only reason why we brought him in was to bring him uh, downs. But I really do think it's a chess move for Kirby, and this is something the same reason why he knew when he brought Muschamp in and how he brought Bobo in, just how Bobo stepped up when Munkin left is I do see Glenn Schumann being a hot commodity as he continues to grow in his D.C. role. And I do believe that T-Rob, something that was probably at the table when he came in and sat down with Kirby to talk to him, there was probably something in there I would feel like if Glenn Schumann does decide to take a head coaching job somewhere in the near future, that T-Rob is going to be looking to be that next either assistant head coach or and be the primary D.C. So he's already thinking about that, putting that into place. That's some speculation, but still speculation that I think could possibly be a good move. But until then, the solidarity of this program and the and the coaching staff is top notch. Yeah, I mean, you tell me who you could find. So you have you have Will Muschamp this one to this wanting to to step back and spend some more time with his family. And people, you know, it was it was interesting because people question that too. People question like, oh, there, you know, no one's going to step back from a from a coaching you know role like that. Will Muschamp has made $55 million over the last three years. I think at one point he had, before Jimbo Fisher, he had like the most buyout money of, of any yeah. of any from SEC you. head coach. Yeah. And from so, Florida, he, yeah, from Florida and South Carolina. Exactly. So, listen, the idea that Will Muschamp didn't want to step back and like Kirby went out and like forced some move to get T-Rob, to get Caleb Downs, it's ridiculous. Right. Will Muschamp wanted to step back. And when Will Muschamp wanted to step back, you have a guy who Kirby Smart obviously is aligned with philosophically, not just with defensive scheme, which is really important, but he's aligned with philosophically with how he coaches, aligned with philosophically with how he recruits, how he carries himself. Will Muschamp, all that stuff, and Kirby mm-hmm. Smart, very aligned. They they work with each other. You know, Will Muschamp hired Kirby Smart at Valdosta State, right? Um, yeah. Uh, they worked with each other at, at LSU. They, you know, it's it, it, so, so the idea that when Kirby Smart has to replace that guy, who do you go get? You go get a guy in Travis Robinson who worked for Will Muschamp twelve out of the last eighteen years. Right. He was on staff with him twice at Auburn, on staff with him at Florida. He was his defensive coordinator at South Carolina. Um, and and you go and you get that guy who. He knows the philosophy. He knows the coaching style. He knows the demands on recruiting. He knows right. um, not only that, but also just like being with Will Muschamp for so long, um, Travis Robinson knows it's a plug and play in terms of like it really is the, the style of safety, how you do the evaluations, like all of those things. And so uh, to your point, I think people – I think it's, it was very it was it was such a chess move and and a much bigger move than just yes. number one like it was ridiculous to think that it was just to get Caleb Downs but number yeah. two such a much bigger move that even finding this a replacement for Will Muschamp you've got a guy yeah. now in the building who 
knows the scheme, aligned philosophically, knows how to recruit, knows how to evaluate, knows the language, knows all that stuff. And we do know, to your point, Glenn Schumann, I mean, that guy ain't going to be around – he ain't going to be on that Georgia sideline calling defensive plays forever. Nope. And, and and probably not very long. I mean, I would give Glenn Schumann. It depends, you know, what his what his next aspirations are. But right. uh, but I would but I would give Glenn Schumann, you know, a couple more years, maybe maybe you know, depending on how Georgia does this year and what opens up, it may not it may not be that long right. um, and, until he gets his opportunity to be a head coach. And I think when that happens, you do have a guy in T. Rob that can step right in. And so right. what I love with what what you were saying and what Kirby is doing and what he has done is that ability to – when he goes out and gets guys, he's not just replacing coaches. He's replacing right. them with guys who can continue what they've built, right? Um, right. And and you've seen that across the board. Um, and the way that he's kind of moved guys in and out when he's had to to move guys, um, it's also not been for – Georgia, it's, it's so interesting to me because as much winning as Georgia has done – they haven't had any bad attrition from a clo- coaching standpoint, right? I mean, the right. closest, the closest may be Cortez Hankton going to LSU, right? But Cortez Hankton got, you know, he went to LSU and got like a three hundred thousand dollar raise. <laughs> like, yeah, LSU, LSU was paying him coordinator money to come coach wide receivers, um, right? And, um, uh, you know, and Dan Lanning left and became the head coach at Oregon, and Todd right. Munkin left and and just you know was the offensive coordinator for an NFC championship or uh, AFC championship team. And so, um, so the guys that are role that are there that we are losing, um, you're, you're losing them to what they consider better opportunities and yeah. Kirby just doing a great job of bringing in, bringing in other folks. And just to could close that out, that's what I was yeah. going to say is that that's, that's an attribute, you know, attribute that to Kirby basically, because you don't see these coaches moving for lateral moves because they're unhappy and just want a different environment. These kids are moving out and taking on opportunities that are helping build the foundation for their coaching resume. And they're taking these better jobs that are obviously what, you know, as a coach, that's what you want to do. You aspire to be a coordinator. You, from a, from a skill position, you aspire to be a head coach eventually one day. And that's what these guys are doing. And and that's the hierarchy that you're seeing. You're not seeing guys just leave because they're unhappy. They're leaving to take on better opportunities for themselves that was built by what Kirby's doing in that in that coaching room, in that coaching staff room. Yep, yep. Well, and and coach, you know, um, we shifting gears um, and winding down the show uh, the show this week. Listen, we uh, um, we lost Uga, we lost Uga ten, we lost Q, um, yep. and uh, you know the winningest Georgia mascot in history. Um, do you have do you have a favorite? game or two from Uga's tenure. You know, you got two national championships to choose from. You got yeah. uh you got, you know, twenty essentially the last the you know, basically the last three games of Mark Rick's tenure at Georgia through the Kirby Smart era. Um uh through you know through uh through the end of you know twenty twenty two. I have been to a lot of football games and obviously watched plenty on TV as well, but I have to say that I'm gonna have to bring up one that we were discussing earlier, and uh, it's the 2014 game against LSU at home. Yeah. Um, absolutely had the opportunity to go there. I was at North Murray at the time and got some tickets from a, a friend of mine who was a season ticket holder, and me and my wife went and absolutely knew it was a big game, knew it was a big deal. You know, game day was there. It was just everything was what you wanted in that. 
that was the stadium was unbelievable that day. But to watch that game not only be a high offensive scoring game, but the way we won at the very end to score the touchdown um, with Murray drawing. I think it was to uh, Wesley. J- Justin uh, Justin Scott Wesley, yeah. Yeah, Justin Scott Wesley for that touchdown that went ahead. And then, obviously, the big defense has stopped to finalize yeah. the game. So, I'd have to say that's probably one of my highlights, definitely, other than, of course, the national championships and, yeah. uh, and that deal. During yeah, I'm going to – listen, I'm going to I'm gonna go um, – I'm going to go off the beaten path. So, oh, uh, for me in the uh, in, in Uga, Uga Ten's uh, tenure – there's all you know you have the rose bowl you have the national championships you have right. you know 2022 20, uh tennessee in the rain you got you got so many to choose from one of my personal favorites was kirby smart's first game as georgia head as georgia's head coach 2016 versus north carolina in, oh, the, yeah. georgia dome. in the georgia dome when nick chubb when nick chubb ran for a gazillion yards um, coming off of of an injury, you know, so he came off of that last that previous season. He was he was injured, came back right. his like his like comeback game um, to go out there and uh, and run all over North Carolina. You had uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky was North Carolina's quarterback. He had a safety in that game. I mean, a right. lot of a lot of things. And I think for me um, to welcome, you know, kind of the Kirby Smart era in that way was really uh, was really exciting. So that's going to be mine for. Uh, for Uga Ten's uh, tenure, so that's a good uh, one. Man. Yeah, man, it's it's one of my one of my favorites. It doesn't get talked about enough because of how that no. season obviously went, right? Like the, you, I think a couple weeks later, you got blown out by Ole Miss. But yeah, seven and um, five that year, I believe it was uh, or eight and five. Yeah, yeah, yep. TCU in the belt bone. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kirby Smart people listen. Kirby Smart, we don't we don't talk much about it, but he lost to Vanderbilt his first year. Yeah, so. he did. Some so weird, whatever weird where games. wherever you are in life, keep moving, keep moving oh, forward. <laughs> without a doubt, it, 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 it can doubt. get better very quickly. Uh, awesome, cool. Uh, the last thing you know, so I would love for you, you guys, you know, please like, subscribe. Um, last thing I'll say, Georgia uh, finally has come around with the times. They're going to sell beer in Sanford Stadium, <laughs> which is. Which which the masses have been pining for uh, forever. I you know I I want to give a shout out to our Morris Hall tailgate crew. We have never felt the need to to have a beer in Sanford Stadium because we we use the game to sober up sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, but one of the things I did want to touch on, you know, beer in the stadium, um, revenue is king in college sports right now. Yes, it is. And if you if you think um, that college football is going to be the college football of your youth or 10 years ago or eight years ago, um, you got Sanford Stadium, you got these massive suites going up, you got alcohol being sold in the stadium, all in the service of uh, a, a raise of revenue and and trying to keep this machine rolling. So um, I'm personally, you know, I'm, I'm personally uh, – happy to see you know i think it's always interesting when uh it's always interesting when i can drink until i can't walk you know 15 feet outside the stadium but i can't walk <laughs> in you know so yeah. so yeah so i'm i'm excited i'm excited for uh for the folks who have who have wanted to have a nice cold one um in you know in the middle of the the second quarter but um 
but I I will say I think it's from what I understand they're going to cut it out. They're going to cut. Well, they should they should cut it off. Um, They should. I think I think they'll be smart about it. I think they'll be smart about it. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's an additive. Additive. It'll 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 generate some revenue, and I think that's the thing I I just wanted to to point out. A lot of people are hung up on the the actual alcohol side of it. Reality, we're selling beer in that stadium because it is. NIL and facilities mm-hmm. and revenue yeah, and revenue and um it's all about and that's what, yep and that's what's happening so uh next time you're at a game and you're drinking a cold one you're supporting <laughs> your you're team someone someone it, no doubt in more in more ways than one exactly. all right well that's that's it for us this week thanks for tuning in um we'll be back uh next week and go dogs go dogs mm-hmm.